This is an AMI podcast. Good morning. It's Tuesday, August the 30th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit those horns and go. Coming up on the show today... It's Disability Employment Month in British Columbia. Parliamentary Secretary Dan Coulter will tell you all about it. Envision Smart Glasses have partnered with Ira to offer better orientation for users. Nelson Rago has that story. Here's a question for you. What happens to GPS technology when you end up off-grid? Are there any solutions to keep the navigation going? Lawrence Gunther will discuss that. The Canadian Council of the Blind is hosting a boat cruise in the Toronto area. We'll hop aboard with community reporter Elizabeth Moeller. And we wrap up the show with the weekly news quiz. Mike Ross will test the mental fortitude of Alex Smythe, Karen McGee, and myself. But let's begin the show with our top story of the day. And we're starting in British Columbia, where the province is rolling out a $60 million fund to expand meal programs and reducing costs for supplies and field trips as the school year begins. Education Minister Jennifer Whitesize says the government hopes to take the sting out of costs associated with the return to school. This funding will be used by school districts to expand school food and meal programs and to reduce additional costs to parents for things like field trips and school supplies. We want to support students and families and relieve some of the financial pressures for families throughout BC who need it right now. Whiteside says the School Affordability Fund is one of several inflation-fighting initiatives the B.C. government plans to introduce in the coming days. Let's zoom out and get to a federal story where federal cabinet ministers say the hiring of hundreds of additional staff is helping address delays at Canadian airports as well as visa and immigration offices. But Crown Indigenous Relations Minister Mark Miller says a hiring spree is not the most effective response and the government is still examining ways to address the problems over the long term. Look, that this isn't a rosy news conference. I think as we stated pretty clearly that we're not out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, there's a lot of work to do, and in some cases we aren't up to the pre-pandemic service level that uh, Canadians expect and deserve. Miller is the co-chair of a task force created to examine these travel delays. Let's turn our attention to some stories relating to climate change. More than 1,100 people in Pakistan have been killed by widespread flooding caused by unprecedented monsoons. The country's climate minister, Sherry Remen, says the damage can only be described as catastrophic. One third of Pakistan is underwater and um, 33 million are affected Please tell me how that is not catastrophic. That is the size of a small country. Remen discussed the logistical challenge of evacuations and moving supplies. Now, I don't think any city can absorb that. And as for the rural areas, they look like one large ocean. The Navy is deployed there now uh, inland because many days our helicopters could not provide the evacuations or the drops of food. Remen reflected on how the impacts of these floods will affect the country moving forward. Cities, our, our villages, our crops, our, our people, the migrations pressing on the cities, all these will have uh, a multiple impacts that, uh, you know, that, that really are brought upon by climate shocks. 
The rains have stopped over the past two days, but meteorologists are predicting more precipitation in the coming month. And then coming a little bit closer to home in Mississippi, where their governor, Tate Reeves, has declared a state of emergency after flooding impacted a water treatment facility in the state capital. Trevor Alt has the latest. After days of flooding, a water treatment plant is failing to provide running water to the city. According to the governor, up to 180,000 people may be affected. And right now, Jackson doesn't have enough water to fight fires or flush toilets. We do not have reliable running water. At scale. The city had already been under a boil water advisory for weeks because the water wasn't considered clean enough to drink. But now many have little to no water pressure at all. The state says it's begun immediate emergency repairs and water will be distributed to residents. Trevor Alt, ABC News, Jackson, Mississippi. And let's pivot from climate to energy where European leaders are pledging to cut electricity prices. Charles de Ledesma has that story. The head of the European Union's executive branch and Germany's chancellor have pledged a reform of the continent's electricity market to help bring down power prices that have been pushed higher by skyrocketing gas prices. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen says these high prices are now exposing the limitations of our current electricity market design, adding it was developed for different circumstances and that is why we're now now working on an emergency intervention and a structural reform of the electricity market. I'm Charles Duladesma. Okay, that was a lot of heavy and bad news. How about we wrap up on something a little bit brighter, although maybe not all the way bright. Let's call it sort of a 50% on the light. California lawmakers have approved a landmark fast food workers bill. Mike Gracia takes a closer look. Acting over objections of restaurant owners who warned of associated higher costs for consumers, the California State Senate advanced a measure Monday that would give more than a half million fast food workers in the Golden State more power and protections. The bill would create a new 10-member fast food council that would be empowered to set minimum standards for wages, hours, and working conditions in California. The council would include four workers' delegates, four employers' representatives, and two state officials. The measure now goes to the California Assembly which adjourns on Wednesday. I'm Mike Gracia. It's almost like giving workers more power is something that companies want to resist. It's almost like managers don't want input from employees on how to make places work better and, you know, have standards so you don't give people food poisoning and abuse your employees. Imagine that. I love how the first line of that story is like, oh, you know, people are up in arms in the food industry. They're going to have to pay a living wage to their employees and not work them 50 hours a week. What are we to do? What are we to do? Treat your employees well. Those were frontline workers during the pandemic who didn't nearly get the love that other frontline workers got. Just remember that. Today's Daily Polls coming to you in a way that you can vote on them. Hence, they're called a poll. At AMI-audio is where you find us on Twitter. Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. Yesterday, we asked you, it was kind of a straightforward question, but a few of you ended up disagreeing. Do you sleep better on freshly changed bedding? 92% of you said yes. 8% of you said no. You said, I prefer to wallow in my own filth. Maria writes in at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Yes, who would not sleep better with clean sheets and a shower? I like that uh, Maria's bringing in the shower idea there, too. That makes a lot of sense. Love taking a nice shower before bed. And then it keeps your sheets cleaner because you went to bed clean. Although I prefer to shower in the morning. And taking two showers is kind of a waste of water. 
let's get to today's daily poll. At AMI Audio is where you find us on Twitter. Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. We'll talk about this a little bit with Elizabeth Moeller later in the show. What features would make a restaurant experience more inclusive and comfortable for you? Large print menus, lower tables, wider pathways, or less noise? Now, I put large print menus there as opposed to just saying alternative format menus because I wanted to get a little bit of specificity, but I know there's going to be plenty of folks who may chime in today, whether it be on social or whether it be at feedback at ami.ca or giving us phone calls at one 509 4545 who would say, I want to say alternative forms of menu, whether that be a Braille menu, whether that be a digital menu, whether it be the iPad model, a talking menu, an audio menu. I just put large print for the sake of simplicity. Also because as legally blind, I'm selfish and I'm just wanting to put options that I like. So large print menu is what I put, but obviously alternative menus and alternative form menus is something that is built into that. But if you do want to chime in, you can always jump in in the comments section. So large print menus, lower tables, wider pathways, less noise. I'm sure there's other features that folks might like. I uh, like all of these. If I'm being totally honest, I find that a lot of pathways at bars and restaurants are way too narrow. I find a lot of places are way too noisy. And I don't mean strictly in the way that the music is too loud. I mean, there's not enough sound absorption on walls. So just sound of conversations carries all over the place. The lower tables thing, it's just nice. You know, it's nice not to have to hop up every time you want to go somewhere. But yeah, but give me that large print menu. There's nothing more annoying than walking into a place and they hand me a menu and it's like written in like four point fonts. Like who can read this? No one can read this. Let's bring in a voice who I told you that you're going to hear plenty from over the course of the next couple of weeks. It's Eliza Rocco. Eliza, what would make a restaurant experience more inclusive and comfortable for you? I will take any and all of these options, Dave. I think I think they're great, great options. But I have to say, there is nothing worse than going into a restaurant that has the tiny little walkways. They they put all of these tables in there, and then they expect you to, yeah, you can just walk through there. And just shimmy through. Just shimmy through. There's shimmy nothing worse than a shimmy through. I've knocked over people's plates of food oh shimmying through. Oh so gosh. I would like that not to happen, ideally. The other option I thought about putting here was uh, better ventilation slash cooling and heating. Uh, I've noticed a lot of places I'm going to this summer do not have AC. Like I went to a I went to a bar in the West End and it was like a wing place and the fryer was absolutely like torching the place. It must have been like 40 degrees in there. I'm like, can we do something about this? This is hot. That sounds absolutely awful. I was in a Tim Hortons recently and it was just... I guess their AC was broken, and it was, it was I felt awful for yeah. the workers because they all have to wear pants and oh. dark clothing, and I'm like, I, don't, I don't know how you're surviving Yeah, what, what would what would be so wrong with seeing the legs of a Tim Hortons worker? You know, like, why can't we let these four, poor care. folks wear shorts, you know? Like, come on. <laughs> it's it's summer. It's 40 degrees in there. Uh, Eliza, thank you for this. Thank Let's you, Dave. say hello to Mike Ross. Mike, what do you think? What could make the restaurant-going experience a little more comfortable? You mentioned you went out on Sunday. I'm curious if there was something that could have made that a little more comfy for you? Uh, I think, honestly, I'm going to go with Eliza. And that's it's the mobility through uh, a lot of these restaurants where, you know, even for me, where I, I don't have a, a specific mobility issue other than I'm a bigger guy. And so when I'm trying to squeeze myself through, you know, between tables and, you know, I don't want to rub up against anybody as they're having their meal. And I'm certain that they don't want me rubbing up against them either. <laughs> so uh, I, I just think in, in so many places, Dave, even the grocery store, I find that the, the lane now, when you get to the checkout, I find that is, is a little bit narrower mm -hmm. than it used to mm -hmm. be when I'm pushing the cart through there. I mean, 
listen, I'm I'm an okay driver. I'm I'm not excellent by any stretch of the imagination, but I do find myself hitting the guardrails with my shopping cart when I get to the checkout more often than ever. So I just find that, and in in some uh, sort of department stores, you get into the clothing sections and the racks are just jammed in there. Yep. So I'm going with, uh, I, I'm going to go with the, the, the mobility and the space. Yeah. I think that's a big one. I think it's only natural right now that it, especially restaurants are trying to jam in as many people as they can and try and rebound from the last couple of years. And I get that, but you can't do it at the expense of, uh, of people's mobility. Yeah. There's a breaking point where the experience becomes negative and people are like, Oh yeah, yeah. maybe I don't like going out. Maybe I do just want to get that delivery in the end. Mike, we got to scoot, but we'll talk to you a little bit later in the hour for the big business story of the day. In the meantime, you can vote at AMI audio on Twitter, accessible media Inc on Facebook. You can send us emails, feedback at AMI.ca or give us a ring ding ding on the old phone machine 1-866-509-4545 let's go back to eliza who has the national weather updates ami national weather report from environment canada in saint john's newfoundland it's cloudy becoming a mix of sun and cloud this morning with a high of 25 and in halifax nova scotia a mix of sun and cloud with a high of 27. In Montreal, it's mainly cloudy with 30% chance of showers this morning and early this afternoon. Showers beginning this morning with a risk of thunderstorms. There is a heat warning in effect with a high of 28. And in Ottawa, Ontario, it is cloudy with 40% chance of showers this morning. A few showers beginning this early afternoon as well and a risk of a thunderstorm with a high of 28. And in Toronto, it is cloudy with 40% chance of showers, as well as a risk of a thunderstorm. The high is 25. In Thunder Bay, Ontario, it's mainly cloudy with a 40% chance of showers early this morning, a high of 24. And in Winnipeg, it is sunny with a high of 27. In Saskatoon, it's also sunny with a high of 31. And in Calgary, Alberta, it's sunny, another heat warning in effect with a high of 30. And in Edmonton, it is also sunny and another heat warning in effect, high of 31. In Yellowknife, it's mainly cloudy, with a 30% chance of showers early this morning and showers beginning this afternoon, as well as a risk of a thunderstorm late this afternoon. The high is 17. And in Vancouver, BC, it is sunny, with a high of 26. And in Victoria, BC, it is also sunny, but with a high of 27. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Ooh, warm day on the West Coast, Eliza. Thank you for that one. Coming up after the break, it's Disability Employment Month in British Columbia. Parliamentary Secretary Dan Coulter will tell you all about it. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. We are always talking about the importance of a more inclusive workplace on this show. And that means getting more people with disabilities into more employment opportunities. And beyond that, that means making sure people with disabilities are finding meaningful employment opportunities, too. This September marks the ninth annual Disability Employment Month in British Columbia. Dan Coulter is a BC MLA for Chilliwack, and Dan is the Parliamentary Secretary for Accessibility and joins us from there on the West Coast. Thank you for making time bright and early. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you very much for having me. So the name of the month seems fairly self-explanatory, but what are the overarching goals of Disability Employment Month in British Columbia? Well, it's about celebrating um, the meaningful employment for people with disabilities who can and want to work and through employment can make vital connections to uh, to our communities. Um, we know it's over 20% uh, of British Columbians identify as having a disability and that's 926,000 uh, of us. Um, many of us obviously face barriers to employment and including physical, systemic and attitudinal. Is there a particular theme or an area of focus for this year's Disability Employment Month? Um, no, there's no particular theme um, this this uh, month, but it is, you know, a really good chance to uh, celebrate and, and uh, to promote resources and tools that employers can use to reduce barriers to inclusion um, so they can build more accessible uh, workplaces. You know, we want to break down those those barriers so that folks who uh, folks who can work and disabled folks can more easily find employment. Yeah, it's something we talk about a lot on this show. It's the way in which you can really start galvanizing and catalyzing the movement by just tearing down a single barrier at a time and changing an attitude here and there. And the nice thing is there's a continuity here when we're talking about the ninth annual uh, employment uh, employment month, disability employment month. So how have some of the past employment months, disability employment months, uh, catalyzed the movement to get more people with disabilities into the workplace? Well, you, every time we have disability employment month, we are obviously uh, making announcements of uh, different investments we're making in order to break down barriers for folks, uh, for disabled folks to, um, to gain employment. And so, um, you know, we have great groups like th- this year, for example, we have, we have, uh, a group called the President's Group. I don't know um, if you've heard of them uh, mm-hmm. here in BC. It's yeah, a network of 25 business leaders in BC, um, and their vision is uh, to make BC uh, a province with the best employment opportunities for folks with disabilities. Um, and um, this year, you know, throughout September, Small Business BC and the President's Group uh, are going to host virtual learning events and promoting resources for employers and. Uh, people with uh, disabilities and so we're excited about that and you know that's kind of the type of type of thing that we do during disability month yeah partnerships and collaborations are fantastic and we know the president's group does a ton of great work whether it's the president's group the Rickanson foundation one of our contributors marco pasqua does a lot of work with them as well so yeah great to see that collaboration going on from so many different levels of both the government and some of those nonprofits and some of the private sector as well tell me a little bit about work bc and the role that they're playing to make workplaces more accessible yeah, so um, you know there are 102 Work BC centers. It's the largest network of employment uh, service providers in the province, um, and they help about 70,000 people 
um, gain skills and experience for uh, jobs each year. So for Disability Employment Month, WorkBC um, will work with its WorkBC network to promote, um, highlight and highlight existing programs for hiring and supporting um, people with disabilities in the workplace. And they'll also feature several stories about people with disabilities and their job uh, successes. And uh, they'll also be hosting activities with contractors. So um, for example, like uh, on September 26th, um, North Vancouver, Vancouver South, and Coquitlam WorkBC centers are hosting a virtual employment employer panel with uh, the YWCA to provide job seekers with disabilities and their family and friends um, information on inclusive hiring practices. Are there other ways that people or employers can still participate in Disability Employment Month? I know we're just starting. A lot of proclamations came out yesterday and are going to be continuing throughout the week. But are there still ways for people to uh, get involved and maybe find out a little bit more about uh, where there might be an event or a session in their neck of the woods? Yeah, so there's, um, uh, you know, we we want people uh, to learn more about our Accessible BC Act, which is... um, which is uh, obviously on our website. So you can go to the government's uh, websites. Um, and then uh, you can also check out workbc.ca and our partners um, in Small Business BC and the President's Group. Hey, well, we really appreciate you getting up bright and early for us this morning. I know uh, doing a media interview at 6, 10 a.m. Uh, local time is a no small feat. So Dan, thank you for all the work that you and your colleagues are doing. And thank you for making a little bit of time for us today. We're very appreciative. Oh, well, thank you very much for having me. That's Dan Coulter, a BC MLA for Chilliwack, and Dan is also the Parliamentary Secretary for Accessibility in British Columbia. Coming up next, what happens to GPS technology when you end up off the grid? And Are there any solutions to keeping that navigation going? Lawrence Gunther will discuss that. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Emily Javesky with your Morning Business Minute. North American stock markets were down slightly Monday as investors continue to adjust to the idea that inflation, as well as the efforts by central banks to curb it, is not going to go away anytime soon. The S&P TSX Composite Index was down 37 points at 19,836. In New York, the Dow Jones was down 184 points at 32,099. The Nasdaq was down 124 points at 12,018. Japan's Nikkei finished up 317 points at 28,196. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong was down 97 points just before close at 19,926. Our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 76.95 cents U.S. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Emily Jovesky. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. I don't know about you, but I find myself using GPS constantly when it comes to navigation, especially when I'm trying to get familiar with a new place. But even places that I am familiar with, I still find I'm checking that GPS pretty regularly. Here's the thing. Sometimes in your journeys, 
you may find yourself off-grid. Then that GPS technology gets uh, pretty darn spotty. Environmental contributor Lawrence Gunther recently presented at the Accessible Parks Conference on this issue. And, of course, Lawrence is the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther and joins us now to talk about this issue. Hey, good morning, Lawrence. Good morning, Dave. So, Lawrence, set the scene for me here. What are the limits of GPS systems when it comes to orienting off-grid? Well, on on grid with maps, right? You're on a sidewalk. I mean, they, no one names the sidewalk, but the streets are all named. So when you're walking along a sidewalk, you know, you're going in one direction or the other. You're going forward or backwards. You're not veering left or right off the sidewalk. You're following the streets. It's pretty, you know, it's pretty simple to relocate yourself in the computer's mind, you know, next to a street. So they know where you are all the time, what's coming, what's around you in terms of businesses, addresses, things like that. It's all on the map. Take away the map and what you got is a gps system that can tell you where you are now and where you just were it can also tell you uh what's around you if it's been waypointed if there's gps coordinates for certain things certain features that are around you but it can't necessarily tell you you know where to, where they are in relation to you that's where it starts to use artificial intelligence and that's where it gets a little bit uh, you have to start dialing it in a bit with the technology and very few gps systems do that well so what's it going to take to start rolling out more of those waypoint markers and some of the more specific ai navigation on bicycle paths walking paths hiking trails and parks etc you need to have someone that can go to the path and create a series of waypoints. So on a map, it might look like a line. You see a path, you see a trail, uh, even, you know, a river, a shoreline. It, there's a line. It all looks linear. You know, it might flow. It might undulate a bit. But in GPS systems, it's a series of dots, like paint by numbers. You put a dot, you, you put another dot, you draw a line between the dots. That's how GPS works. You navigate from dot to dot, or what we call waypoints. Now, how many of those waypoints do you need? It all depends on how many twirls and swirls that path takes, right? Or how many obstacles are along the way? How many things are around you that you need to know about? So, you know, creating a waypoint map it can be quite complicated if you're in a situation where there's lots of features on an open path and an open field on the water. Less so because you can create a, a waypoint and then if it's a line of sight, clear line of sight to the next one, you can say make the next waypoint, you know, 100 meters away, 200 meters away. You're just going in a straight line from point to point. Mm. But if there's a lot of things going on, yeah, it's a lot more complicated. So I think about the Google car that was so popular, say, about 10 years ago that would drive around and map cities. And that's largely how we got a lot of this mainstream, easy-to-access GPS tech because a car with a bunch of sensors and cameras on it rolled up and down the streets. So why Mm -hmm. couldn't we just put that technology on, like, a hiker or a biker on these trails? That's a really good question. And and it comes down to the limitations of GPS itself. There's two things that limit the quality of your GPS. One is, do you have a clear line of sight to at least three satellites above you? So if you're in a serious forest, right, with lots of giant trees overhead, you know, tree canopy, that can limit your GPS coverage. Just like if you're in a, a tunnel of high-rise buildings downtown, you know, you're, you're limiting your GPS coverage. It's getting a little sketchy. Next thing you know, you're one street over. The other thing is, just the sheer accuracy of GPS. If you want to really know exactly where you are, the elevation, the location, really pinpoint your location, you need a number of GPS uh, antennas and then a computer that can take all the information 
information from those GPS antennas and create a sort of a medium. So this one says this, this one says that. We pump it all into a computer. The average says this. So this is probably exactly where you are. With one antenna on one device, you could be 10 meters to the left of it, 10 meters to the right of it. Or what often happens is you're getting close to it and it says you've arrived, yeah. but you're still 10 meters <laughs> away, right? <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've been told I'm somewhere and I'm like, oh, I don't think I'm there. I don't, I don't think, uh, Penelope, you have not quite brought me exactly where I need to be. Uh, Lawrence, what about some alternatives for folks who do end up liking to spend time off grid, but a lot of this place, these places have not been mapped properly yet? Are there blended options available? Yeah, you know, if you think about what's on the ground itself, if you think about a path, paths have texture. It's like a sidewalk. You have a sidewalk with edge. On one side, there might be grass or a building. On the other side, it might dip down a curb onto the pavement. So you have these textural indicators. Paths often work the same way, right? You know, you can have a path that's just a very well-grooved uh, trench into the uh, forest trail. You can have a raised path, like accessible paths, you know, where they apply gravel and level it all out. That's really useful. You, you can stay on the path with relative ease, uh, boardwalks, same idea, railings, ropes, all that works well. Um, tactile maps are a great idea, but you seldom see those being handed out just from the cost of producing those things. And I'm hoping, you know, three, uh, 3D printing and, yeah, and waterproof yeah. is going to fix that solution someday. But, you know, I'd love I, to have tactile maps of Lawrence, all my favorite lakes. Lawrence, I've been hearing the 3D printed map thing for like a decade now. They're like, oh yeah, yeah. we're right there. We've got the scale figured out. <laughs> and yet, yeah. like you just never see it necessarily in practice yet. Well, how much information can you put on there? And, and you start to add Braille or large print tactile and, and, a, and a map can get huge real fast. Yeah, yeah. And then it's impractical to actually bring out while you're trying to, while you're trying to hike because one mm. of the primary rules of hiking is don't bring too much stuff. Yeah, a giant unfoldable map. <laughs> giant unfoldable map. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Lawrence, so you had a chance to present at this Accessible Parks conference. We actually spoke to a few of the organizers uh, beforehand, which was really, really neat to get a preview. How'd it go and what did you present about when you were there? Well, I, you know, you, you go to a park and everyone loves to go to the parks, but what's the main sort of little bit of anxiety, the thing that gives you some excitement, you know, when you go to a park? Anyway, Bears. It, bears. <laughs> <laughs> like, bears aside. Okay, bears, bears aside. aside. Okay. <laughs> you you you, you want to go for a hike, right? You're, there's a path, there's a trail, there's a lake you want to uh, go fishing on or boating on, and maybe a river that you want to paddle on. You know, it's all about the adventure, the orientation, the, uh, the you know, the, the hike, right? That's, that's everyone wants to do that, whether it's your bike or on foot or on a canoe or whatever, paddleboard, kayak. It's, it's that idea of going, starting somewhere and ending up somewhere. And that's so much fun. And, and there's a lot of information, signage and, and maps being created to make sure the average person can, and can successfully do this without getting lost. That's what parks do, right? They give you enough information, just enough. They spend enough to make sure most people get to the end without having to call for help. Mm. But what does that look like for us, you know, with vision loss, deaf, blind, blind people? What could that look like? You know, Braille on sign, large print on sign, it's not great if you don't know where the sign is, right? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so, and then, uh, so maybe we can work on uh, putting together a few of these ideas and creating a downloadable waypoint GPS trail 
that you know, you know, in advance. That also includes, you know, the audio stuff that you get. get. Sometimes when you visit a park, you can get the audio machine with the headset, and yeah. as yeah. you walk around, it GPS triggers, and you say, "Oh, you're now standing behind a, a beside a building that was built 250 years ago," and it tells you about the building, and and that's a great thing. So. If you take the combination of the, the tour and the information and that GPS, what's around you information, and the waypoint information so you can get around with direction. So you say, you get, you get to this waypoint, now you have to progress in a certain direction, follow this, listen for that, give you information. Now, the, the, the whole issue with that is there's liability, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. If you oh, yeah. <laughs> send a blind person into the Algonquin Forest with one of these, you know, audio described GPS waypoint systems, you know, that runs on 16 batteries, uh, <laughs> yeah. who's going to fish that guy out? I, you know? I, I think, like, there's certainly something you can do with re in regard to beacons as well. You know, we see some of that beacon technology that exists in yeah. places like malls or in public transit stations. I think there's probably a blended approach you can take, but certainly there's also a matter of personal responsibility that we want the world to be completely accessible to us but there's other moments where it's like there are cliffs here <laughs> we don't want you necessarily <laughs> wandering off this cliff looking for a beacon yeah. right no, not to yeah. be demeaning to sort of the blind hiking experience but there, yeah. there has to be compromise made and lawrence not that i would ever necessarily say that uh, the united states and florida has anything figured out but i did take a tour of one of their national parks their everglade national park oh my goodness this it's almost 10 years ago now because time is a flat circle and just keeps yeah. on moving forward and they did a lot of things in regards to ease of movement through a path Pathway, but still making sure there was sort of not gigantic but appropriate fencing in regards to uh, not necessarily falling into an alligator pond, even though the alligators <laughs> were all over the trail. So as a blind person, uh, it was good to have a guide so you weren't walking right into an alligator sunbathing. Oh, yeah. Or you go to Yellowstone, right? And all those gurgling pits of, uh, of a sulfuric uh, 140 degrees Fahrenheit water. I mean, they just found a, a foot with a shoe that floated up from some unfortunate hiker that stepped off the boardwalk. And there's no railings there, right? It's yeah. just a boardwalk and then kerplunk, you're gone. Yeah, yeah. So definitely nature has its uh, has its dangers. There's no doubt about yeah. that. But uh, we're, we're allowed to take risks, right? Uh, I mean, we're growing up. Yeah, that's true. Did, did you enjoy the experience at the Accessible Parks Conference? It was super well organized, like very detailed. They had practice sessions. They pumped through a lot of presenters, huge presenter lists on lots of really interesting details around accessibility. And I really encouraged them to make those presentation links alive, not just, you know, a whole hour of four presenters, but, you know, break it down by presenter and organize it by theme. That would be a wonderful way to, for researchers to follow up on that wow, stuff. Wow, a little bit of a digital library advice from Lawrence Gunther. I'm doing some <laughs> archiving there. Hey, uh, Lawrence, what's coming up on the next episode of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther? I don't know if you ever watched those fishing shows on TV, but Bob Azumi had the real fishing show for yeah, 30 years, yeah. right? I would say, I would so say, his... I would say that, that was the fishing show on TV. That was oh, the yeah. one. Yeah, he retired last year. So um, his 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 niece Mariko Azumi, she's this is her she's starting her third fishing show, and she's going fishing with her uh, five year old daughter Yale and her two year old son Tiger, all over Canada and and parts of other parts of the world. So uh, and she's really promoting this idea of. If, Getting your kids out there and teaching them the outdoors, teaching them to fish as early as you can. It, she's just an amazing. So she's our guest. And uh, and we're going to talk about fairy circles. Love it. Get people comfortable with the outdoors nice and early so they don't become like me and crave concretes. Lawrence, thank you for this. 
<laughs> My pleasure, Ben. Thanks That's for having me. That's Lawrence Gunther. He's the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. I'm not going to tell you what time it airs on AMI-audio because that's all going to change on Thursday. So uh, I'm just going to tell you to download the podcast for now. And uh, when I get the new information on the schedule, you'll get it too. Let's bring in Mike Ross for the big business story of the day. Mike, uh, Lawrence and I were just talking about time off the grid in the woods. Well, you've got a wood story of your own. Yeah, uh, it feels like, Dave, I mean, you know, I'm a big political junkie and and I've been following politics probably since I was like even, I don't know, grade school. And it seems to me like this has been a recurring theme since I was about, I don't know, 11 years old. And it certainly probably goes back even further than that. And that is the soft wood lumber battle mm-hmm. between Canada and the United States. So International Trade Minister Mary Ng says Canada is now formally issuing and initiating a challenge of U.S. duties on Canadian softwood lumber, which we call, as always, you tell me if you've heard this before, unwarranted and unfair. (laughs) Uh, The Canadian government filed notice of the challenge today under the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Trade Agreements Dispute Resolution System. Ng says the duties harm Canadian businesses and workers, but... And this is is always the way you play this, right? It's bad for us, but it's even worse for the United States. Oh, yes, of course. Because it's a tax on U.S. consumers that are already dealing with inflation and supply chain issues. Now, the U.S. did cut oh, its if, if you're a politician, you don't mention inflation in your speech now. I mean, what are you doing? I mean, people <laughs> yeah, right? just, uh, how would they supply ever change. how would they ever know if the prices in their life had gone up if the politicians don't just say <gasps> inflation? Yeah, and supply chain issues. What's that? I, I haven't heard of never staff heard shortages. What? Huh? Never heard of it. Uh, the U.S. cut its anti-dumping and countervailing duty rate in half earlier this month to 8.59% from 17.61%. But Ng says that Canada is still going to fight the measures. So that uh, softwood lumber dispute, which I've been hearing about my entire life, goes on. And it seems like it, it's just one of those industries. That and auto, uh, the auto sector, are, are, are two that you just can't help but uh, but see that the two countries are completely intertwined, right? Because they buy a lot of our lumber. We buy a lot of theirs. Mm-hmm. We make parts for their cars. They make parts for ours. Things. This is why during the, uh, the, the bridge uh, blockades, you know, we were talking about billion a billion dollars a day in trade that was being affected because those two big industries that constantly trade between the two countries, and uh, it just seems that this is the one. The softwood lumber is the most sensitive yeah. uh, of the bunch, and uh, they they go through this resolution or conflict resolution system. Uh, it's seemingly every couple of years it's perpetual. They they cut yep. they cut the fees. They go through a USMECA, USMECA or a NAFTA, a NAFTA pr- uh, process. They scrap the fees. Somebody else imposes the fees again, and then we go back to square one. It just yeah, you're right. It's something that I've been hearing about since I've been following politics since the mid '90s as well. Mike, thank you for this. You got it, Dave. That's Mike Ross with the big business story of the day coming up next. The Canadian Council of the Blind is hosting a boat cruise in the Toronto area. We'll hop aboard with community reporter Elizabeth Moeller. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome 
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's welcome Toronto community reporter Elizabeth Moeller back into the show. Good morning, Elizabeth. Dave, happy August. Happy August, although the end of August. We're very close to September here. Elizabeth, for about a year, the online guessing game Wordle has been popping up and trending on social media every day. My initial concern was a lack of accessibility in a very visual game. Mine too. But you've been playing and took note of a few of the features. So what jumped out to you? Yeah, so I love word games. Dave, we're going to have to have a Scrabble showdown one day. But that aside, (laughs) I really wanted to figure out how to play Wordle. So I started to do some digging, and it turns out there is an accessible Google plugin for Wordle. So as you know, you can go on to the New York Times and get the Wordle game, but it comes up as squares. So yellow square means you have the letter in the word, but it's not in the right place. Green square, letters in the correct spot, and gray slash white square, letters not in the word. But that doesn't work for JAWS or uh, screen reader users. So there's a plugin. You can get it through Chrome. It's a Chrome extension, and you can actually have it running in the background. So anytime you go on to the New York Times to play your Wordle, it'll pop up. And so what it does is it reads out, it will say letter correct, letter present, letter absent. So you'll know if the letter that you've typed in is in the in the actual word. And there's a QWERTY keyboard on the screen. And again, you would just hit your space bar to activate the letter. So you wouldn't type in your guesses, but you'd use like an actual on-screen keyboard and use your space bar to activate that letter. And then there's an enter button on the screen as well. So it's kind of getting used to using an on-screen layout keyboard as opposed to typing, which is it takes some, some doing, but oh, you yeah. can do it. Yeah. You know, a little bit of doing, but that keeps the brain active. I think what I really like about this is it's such a popular and trendy thing. Everybody's showing their words or their guesses. Last week I got stumped, and and I can I can tell the word because it's long gone. But the word was merit, and I had timer. Now, for those anagram fans, you know that if you <laughs> scramble those letters, you'll get you'll get uh, merit from timer. But I thought, well, why isn't it saying I have it correct? It's saying all the letters are present, but I had to do some serious anagramming. So you know, they're up to their old tricks again, Dave. So, so get that Chrome extension. Cause I'm, I'm going to play next time with you. So you yeah. got to have your word ready. Just a little bit of a follow up here, Elizabeth. Did you find it was fairly straightforward to uh, download the extension to install the I extension? Did. Yes. Yeah. It, it was very straightforward. You download it. It runs in the background. You don't even know it's there except that it pops up and says screen reader, Chrome extension enabled. So you'll know it's there and you can see your stats and everything as well. Any recommendation on what people might do to get that extension? Just maybe Google it into their Google machine while yeah, they're in their Chrome the, browser? Yeah, and you know what? Since I know everybody faithfully reads the blog for this show, it'll be up on the blog notes, but you can certainly Google it. There's also one for Safari uh, as well if you're more of an iOS user as well. Would you say Chrome is your browser of choice, Elizabeth? It is. Yeah, Chrome is my browser of choice, um, but they do have extensions for other plugins as well if that's that's what you need. And they even have one that you can copy and paste into your iPhone browser. So all the instructions are there in the in the um, blog notes for the show. Nice. Well, the uh, sirens of the uh, Apple police are coming for you for uh, preferring oh, Chrome. Oh, oh. I don't know. Oh, if... <laughs> no. The Apple police, yeah, they're the coming Apple police for me. are coming for you. Uh, Elizabeth, let's jump into something that actually is relating to our daily poll today at AMI-audio on Twitter, Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. A few times this summer, we've discussed restaurant accessibility reviews. And specifically, we talked about social media creator Taylor Lindsay Noel and her channel Access by Tay. So what do you think? How could this work by Taylor benefit people who don't have disabilities? 
You know, I think it's really about access for, for all, right? So people that are perhaps pushing a stroller or they've got lots of parcels or for whatever reason, they're just not wanting to navigate steps or they have a family member or a friend that does have a disability. So this really is benefiting everybody, A, by showcasing the awesome work of some great restaurants. When I went on there, I would say about nine out of 10, I didn't even know those restaurants existed. And some of them are right in my backyard, like the Drake Hotel. Um, and I love steak. So Blue Blood Steakhouse, here I come. But, you know, also just being able to kind of broaden your horizon in terms of where you go. I know that I know about three accessible restaurants right now in the city and I alternate. So this is great. But I think it's also showing how this is really, like I said, going to benefit everybody and showing that a little innovation can go a long way. She also does reviews on food, so it isn't just about accessibility. Mm -hmm. So she talks about her experience, not just with the food, but also with the staff. So how was she, how was she treated when she came into the restaurant, and how did how did the staff sort of respond? She talks to you. I didn't know this. Maybe you did. When you make a reservation on access or, or open table, you can indicate that you have an accessibility concern in the notes section, and, and Tay notes that she does that, so the, the servers know where to where to seat her and her party. So great suggestions there. Yeah, definitely. Any kind of work you can do preemptively. Certainly, we just want the world to be universally designed, but it's it's not. So any work you can do preemptively can certainly make your experience better. But that can be part of the review as well. I, I do know that in a couple articles that she's been featured in this summer, she said, hey, I reached out to a place. They claim we're accessible. I get there mm -hmm. and there's like two steps to get in. So like right from like the point of inception. Or you can't go to the washroom. Or you can't go to the washroom. So that so Elizabeth, that's something that I think people may not understand, particularly about downtown Toronto. But I think yeah. downtown of a couple of the older cities in the country, specifically Montreal mm -hmm. and Toronto, man, oh man, oh man. This not yeah. having bathrooms on the main floor business is utterly commonplace. And what do you do, right? It's an old building. Like, do you do you just indicate that up front? Obviously, you do renovations long term, but what do you do? And so thinking about, you know, how can you be uh, transparent as a restaurant? How can you be creative? Maybe there's a business next door. This isn't ideal. But if there's a business next door, next door that does have an accessible washroom, you develop some kind of understanding or a partnership with them. But yeah, I think what I like about what she's doing is her reviews are all positive, right? Yeah. Like even if she's noting things that are not accessible, it's done in an educative way to mm -hmm. help inform businesses and, and customers alike. It's very informative. It's not necessarily shame and blame. Although every now and then a, a, little, a little shame and blame can, little, can certainly go a, little, a long way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so so Elizabeth, Elizabeth let, let's, let's dig a little deeper into this because as I mentioned, it is our, our, our poll today at Accessible Media Inc., on Facebook, AMI, at AMI Audio on Twitter. We're asking folks what features might make the restaurant experience more inclusive or comfortable for them. And some of the options that I put here were large print menu. We had wider mm -hmm. pathways. Uh, what else did I have there? Hold on a second. I, I Do you don't have Braille menu. I hope I so, hope so I didn't I didn't put Braille menu, but I did I did put a little okay. bit of a preamble on this that sort of said alternative form menus is something okay, that I also okay. would have put, but it, it starts looking pretty clunky if everything I put there is is in regards to menu. I also had lower tables and I had less noise because Elizabeth, I find that a lot of places For beyond quiet hours. Yeah, beyond yeah. beyond loud music, a lot of them just don't have proper sound design. No. So people's no. conversations just bounce off the yes. walls. Yeah, I think quiet hours could be really great. Like just, hey, this is a, you know, we have these hours reserved, we take less tables and it's a quieter experience. But, I, you know, I've noticed too, a lot of restaurants who have their menus up on Uber Eats, that's a great way to get an accessible menu because sometimes the online menus are pictures or they've got 
pop-ups and ads, but if the restaurant has their menu on Uber Eats or DoorDash, that's a nice way to, to sort of preemptively go in, think about what you want, take a look around independently. Um, and, you know, really, I think blue sky thinking here, but even just having some colored strip on any stairs, although we're going to hope for not a lot of stairs, uh, really important as well. And if, if we're possible having a gender neutral washroom and an accessible washroom yeah. because they're different. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, this is the thing, right? That we can have stairs in a place conceivably so long as there mm-hmm. are accessible washrooms on the main floor. Yes. There can be stairs yes. elsewhere. Uh, like we, we can't sort of forget that like, the world is still the world and not every place is going to have an elevator. But yeah, I think, I think that what we're talking about, yeah, marking stairs properly, uh, just marking things in general properly, less clutter, right? Less crowded spaces. I think there's just lots of things that, pe- that restaurants and bars and other places can do to make the experience overall inclusive and comfortable, and then they're going to make a little more money. Elizabeth, let's get to one more topic here. The Canadian Council of the Blind is going to be shoving off and having a boat cruise in the Toronto area soon. So what's on deck for this event? What's on deck as opposed to what's on tap? All right. Well, it'll be September 17th, which is a Saturday. It'll be in the afternoon. So over the lunch hour, speaking of, lunch will be served on board and they are able to accommodate any dietary restrictions. So please get in touch and all that information's in the blog. This is a mystery boat cruise. So I can't tell you too much because it's a mystery. No, but there's going to be prizes on board. There's going to be some um, really interesting and fun games. There's going to be opportunities to mix and mingle. You can get your tickets by uh, visiting the CC. CCB Toronto Visionaries website or emailing them at ccbtorontovisionaries.com um, or .ca. Um, so do 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 that and, and get your tickets. They are 54 members and 64 non-members. And as well, if you have any questions, you can reach out to that email address um, and answer those questions um, as well. Elizabeth, I know you prefer to swim in the lake versus taking, a, bo- taking a boat I cruise. Do. But if, but have you done have you done so one maybe of these? I'll swim along beside the boat, and I've oh. never done one. I've <laughs> never done a boat cruise. So you know, and I did jump off a, a boat in uh, June at a triathlon. So you know, maybe I'll do both. I'll get on the boat and then I'll jump <laughs> off, swim yeah, alongside, have a little opportunity to do a little bit of movement. Well, Elizabeth, as you mentioned, we'll share some of this stuff. Maybe not on the blog today. We're crazy short staffed behind the scenes, but we'll make sure to get this information up tomorrow when we're uh, a little more uh, staffed properly around now with Dave Brown. Elizabeth, thank you for this. Thank you so much, Dave. And don't forget, get those words ready because I'm coming for you <laughs> I, for Wordle. I bet next, you are. Next time. I bet you are and you're going to dominate me. <laughs> That's Elizabeth Moeller, community reporter in Toronto, Ontario. As mentioned, a little short-staffed behind the scenes right now. AMI.ca slash now blog is our blog address. AMI.ca slash now blog. But some of that info may not get up until tomorrow when we're a little closer to a full staffing. Let's wrap up the hour with a couple of news stories. A couple of international stories for you here. The situation for people in Afghanistan is deteriorating, according to the United Nations. Chuck Sievertson has more. Six million Afghans are at risk of famine, say UN agencies, because of COVID and climate issues, plus... Flash floods, earthquakes, avalanche droughts, and terrorism. America's U.N. Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield also responding to Russia accusing Western nations of not helping enough. She says instead of reaching out to other nations for help... The Taliban harbored the leader of al-Qaeda in downtown Kabul. Where a U.S. drone attack killed him. Chuck Sievertson, ABC News. And while we're in the region, protests and violence are flaring up in Iraq. Charles de Ledesma has that story. 
Supporters of a prominent Iraqi Shiite cleric are firing rocket-propelled grenades into Iraq's green zone as machine gun fire crackled overhead, deepening the political chaos gripping the Mideast nation. Those backing influential cleric Muqtadu al-Sadu fired into the green zone where it appears Iraqi security forces were firing back at them. Live television footage showed the chaos, with at least one wounded man being taken away in a three wheel rickshaw, the Iraqi foreign ministry visible behind them. The death toll has risen to over 20 after the unrest erupted on Monday. I'm Charles Duladesma. I'm always encouraging you to reach out to the show. We were talking to Elizabeth before about the daily poll that relates to restaurant accessibility and inclusivity to make the experience more comfortable for you. But anything you hear on the show, whether it be employment opportunities for people with disabilities in British Columbia, the big business story of the day, or anything else, we're always looking for your feedback. So send us emails, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca, at AMI-audio on Twitter, or give us a phone call, 1-866-509-4545, 1-866-509-4545. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-audio, AMI-tv, AMI.ca, and the mighty AMI-audio podcast network. I'm Dave Brown. It's Tuesday, August the 30th, 2022. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Envision Smart Glasses have partnered with Ira to offer a better orientation experience for users. Nelson Rago has that story. And we wrap up the show with the weekly news quiz when Mike Ross will test the mental fortitude of Alex Smythe, Karen McGee, and myself. Let's go back to Mike Ross, who has the regional news update. Thank you, Dave. We'll begin with the territories. The Yukon government is advising residents near the Mary Lake area of Whitehorse that smoke will be visible today due to a test burn to determine if conditions are right for another prescribed fire tomorrow and Thursday. It says in a release that crews will use prescribed fire to remove slash left over from last year's fuel reduction work to make a fuel break in the subdivision more effective and to create good growing conditions for aspen trees that will be planted there next year. Public access will be limited to the area while wildland fire management vehicles and staff are present. The fuel break is aimed at reducing the risk of catastrophic wildfire to Whitehorse and the surrounding subdivisions. To BC, BC Hydro is committed to reimbursing the District of Hudson's Hope for costs incurred during a failure of a water treatment plant which broke down last month. The utility says it will pay up to half a million dollars the district spent on bottled water for residents as well as for equipment, external experts to repair the plant, and for water that was hauled in to recharge the reservoir. The district is the owner of the water treatment plant, but BC Hydro has provided $5 million to build the system. Hydro says in a statement that early in the Site C project, it committed to mitigating the effects of the dam and reservoir on the community infrastructure by providing funding to the district so it could replace the water treatment system. To the prairies, police in Regina are warning about a potential threat to public safety following a break and enter at a Mountie's home over the weekend. 
Items stolen from the home's garage include RCMP-issued clothing, as well as a personally owned rifle and a shotgun that police say were stored inside a gun locker, which was also taken. The RCMP clothing includes an RCMP rain poncho, coveralls, shoulder patches, two RCMP ball caps, inclement weather pants with RCMP yellow stripes, batons, a green gas mask, and a riot helmet. Police say the combination of stolen guns and RCMP-issued clothing adds particular urgency and concern to the matter. To Ontario, the Progressive Conservative government set to move its controversial long-term care bill into the next stage today. The province passed a motion yesterday to send the bill that would allow hospital patients awaiting long-term care to be transferred to a home without their consent directly to third reading. That means there will be no public hearings or consideration by a committee. Third reading of the bill is set for this afternoon once it passes the second reading vote. Critics say skipping the public hearing is undemocratic. In Quebec, the election campaign continues. Coalition Avenir Quebec leader François Legault is holding a news conference this morning in a riding strongly contested by the upstart Conservative Party of Quebec. Beauce Sud, south of Quebec City and bordering the United States, is in a part of the province known for its conservative politics and entrepreneurial spirit. The CAQ won the riding in 2018, but polls suggest it has become a toss-up between Legault's party and the Conservatives, who were not a factor in the last election, but who are seriously contesting a number of ridings in this election. Conservative leader Éric Duhaime, meanwhile, is holding a news conference later today in Trois-Rivières on the north shore of the St. Lawrence between Montreal and Quebec City, where he's making an announcement about families and the economy. Liberal leader Dominique Anglade is holding a news conference this morning in Quebec City, and Quebec Solidaire spokesman Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois is speaking to reporters in Montreal around noon about the cost of living. Parti Québécois leader Paul Saint-Pierre uh, Plamondon is in Montreal for a news conference and then in La Valtrie, about 60 kilometers northeast, to present his party's plan for the environment. And to the Atlantic region, the cost of milk is going up in New Brunswick on Thursday. The New Brunswick Farm Products Commission says milk will cost 6.5 cents more per liter. The commission says the increase is needed to help dairy producers and processors deal with rising costs for such things as feed equipment repairs, fuel, and labor. In a statement, it says pricing under the school milk program will remain unchanged for the coming academic year. And those are your top regional headlines going coast to coast across the country. Thank you very much, Mike. We'll talk to you a little bit later for the quiz. But for now, we bring in Brock Richardson for a sports chat. So, Brock, you and I had uh, quite the email chain going this morning, back and forth, back and forth. with so much going on in the world of sports. Why don't we start in the world of women's hockey, where although it's not the medal round yet, we get the main event of the preliminary round with Canada and USA at 2 p.m. today. Yeah, I'm loving, loving this matchup. Like, sign me up for this any day of the week. Canada versus U.S., any rivalry any sport this works Uh, obviously Canada took care of business in their first two games um, you know with a combined score of like 13 to 1 between the two games which is cool Marie-Philippe Poulain had uh, four points in her game against Switzerland all well and good but as my notes say here 
put your money where your mouth is against the United States, and let's see what happens. I expect a very, very good game this afternoon. I'm recording it as I'm doing like <laughs> double duty, pulling, doing Kelly and Company as well. But it, it's just, I love it. Every time we get to see Canada versus U.S., this is a good thing. And we should see two matchups, this one, and then hopefully the gold medal matchup later on in the tournament. Yeah, it's always a measuring stick game. And you know the United States team is going to be uh, a little bit on edge because they lost both the matchups at the Olympics this past year. So we know that uh, we know that the American team is going to be hungry this summer in this tournament over there in Europe. But uh, it's always it's always a nice amuse-bouche here. But like I always say to Jeff Ryman, let's let's see, let's get to the money rounds here. We'll we'll, we'll check in today. But the real the real passion <laughs> day is once we get to that gold medal game. Okay, Brock, there's a lot lot of really good sports going on as i mentioned including the u.s open is now underway in earnest in the tennis world yes there was qualifying stuff last week no 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 no. let's get to the knockout round let's get to the big names of course the major major story is this is quite possibly serena williams's last ever tournament and she's already off and running yes she is and let me i i gotta tell you dave i've never seen such a pomp and circumstance start to a tennis game like I did yesterday. Deservedly so. I mean, Serena came out in this black and sparkly, you know, uh, dress, basically. And she had many layers on. It was basically a coat. It was really cool. They had uh, Billie Jean King come and and do that. Arthur Ashe's wife was in, in the crowd. Arthur Ashe, of course, being named after the stadium, being the first male to win the event and the first blackmail as well to win the event so lots of great stuff and then we got on to to having the games take place and of course Serena took on Donka Kovinik and she won 6-3 6-3 in the first two sets now with that being said Kovinik really made her work for this she broke Serena a couple of times I think the crowd got to Serena a little bit, believe it or not, I think, you know, with all the noise and, as I mentioned, the pomp and circumstance, you have to realize that even Serena can, can you know, feel a little bit of that pressure. Dude. Yeah, yeah. It, and it, it's clear that she has been feeling the pressure. Some of it's rust because she hasn't played very much in the last couple of years. But ever since she made that announcement in Toronto, she's lost both games that she played until last night. So I think the pressure of announcing the retirement or the speculation of the retirement has been weighing pretty heavily on her. As you say, the crowd was raucous. The entrance was actually very professional wrestling. I was really into that. I, I, lo- I love me when there's some kind of a professional wrestling component to all my sports. So I, I enjoyed the pomp and circumstances as well but I think getting that win should settle the nerves down and I think a lot of people are hoping that she gets to go on a run here it would be lovely to see if she can get that last major win before before all is said and done that said Brock we have a couple Canadians who advanced yesterday as well uh, Layla Fernandez as well as Bianca Andrescu so the women's side of the bracket looking uh, quite interesting whereas the men's side looking a little meh this year so I think a lot of the attention is going to be on the women's side of the U.S. Open down there in Flushing Queens. Yeah, and Dave, I'm interested to know, do you, do you buy into this whole, because it was said on the broadcast that, you know, Serena really didn't care about the other events up until the U.S. Open. I don't know if I buy that. This is Serena Williams we're talking about. She she doesn't like to lose, and, and that was made reference by, by Billie Jean King last night, and, you know, you could see it on her face when talking about losing. She didn't want to hear any of that, so yeah. I don't buy for a minute <laughs> That she that she didn't care about the events other than the U.S. Open. 
athletes, yeah. you're, you, you were a high level. You were a Paralympian. You, you know this. Athletes don't show up to lose. They, they just don't. They, like, there can be no. organizations that might tank. Athletes themselves do not show up to lose games. No, not, not at all. And like now she's got a really good test between world number two, Annette Kovinit, and she's from Estonia. And this is going to be a big test for her. Yep. The first one, great. You got through it. This is all well and good. But now, again, this is where the real test begins. And I saw things from Serena last night that I haven't seen in the last little while where she's getting to balls, drop shots. She was just not missing a thing yeah. last night. So, yeah. Which she's, she's got the mojo running and ready to roll on this one. She always says the power. When she is, but as soon as she gets that soft touch going, oof, she is tough to deal with. All right, Brock, let's jump on to the Blue Jays for a second here as the burning joke on the show goes. I always feel cornered here because I'd love to talk about other baseball, but of course we're a national Canadian show and they're allegedly the national Canadian team. Either way, I was ready yesterday at about 9.15 p.m. to jump on air with you today and absolutely rip this team. And then they had a pretty miraculous comeback against the Cubbers last night. I sent you an, an email last night, and I said, win, lose, or draw, I have things to say about this team. Had they lost, I would have told you, listen, somebody needs to stand up and speak loudly, and it's got to come from a player. But they ended up pulling this out of out of somewhere. I don't know where they pulled it out of last night. <laughs> but, like, last night, I literally, when they were down 3 nothing, my mom's a big Blue Jay fan, and I said, Mom, this feels like they're down, like, 12 nothing right now and she's like stay patient stay patient and it's so hard to watch when they're just not there and what what came to be last night Teoscar Hernandez where was he oh his foot's a little sore last night just like we said yesterday if he's not 100% don't put him on the field thankfully they pulled this one out with none of the other teams playing last night that were in the chase but they've got to continue to put this together because Otherwise, they're just going to bury themselves. And that series coming up, uh, the the doubleheader against Baltimore is looming yeah. large. We'll talk about it as it gets closer. But that series is looming large. I'm glad to see they took care of business. And Marcus Stroman's in town tonight. Uh, to pitch against the Blue Jays for the first time. So that's cool. Yeah, that's really cool that a former Jays coming back to town. And he, even said, and he even said publicly yesterday that that's the team he's rooting for. He knows the Chicago Cubs are not going to make the playoffs. And he says, as soon as our season's done, this is the team I'm going to be rooting for. You can tell there's still a lot of love for Marcus Stroman in this city because the city gave him a lot of love as well. 100%. And I think... Last night, that love was given back when, when you saw on social media, look, I'm rooting for this team. You, when he was came out early and wanted to be part of the press conference and was speaking highly and said nothing but good things about John Snyder, who we all know what took place there with Charlie Montoya leaving. But I always liked Marcus Stroman. He reminds me of a really, really older Alec Manoa. He's got that compete <laughs> level, and I quite like both of their attitudes. Marcus Stroman has trouble reigning in that attitude sometimes to the same extent as Alec Manoa, but I think Alec Manoa will learn quick that he's got to rein it in a little bit at times. Marcus doesn't quite have that, uh, that, that thickness with two C's that Alec has, though. Hey, Brock, give me a quick thought here on some uh, turmoil at the top of the Montreal Alouettes in the CFL. Bit of a changeover occurring there. Yes, so their owner has left... Um, and this is not uh, a surprise to a lot of people. Uh, he has 
Gary Stern, of course, I'm talking about. He has 25% of the team, and his father-in-law has the other 75%. Now, his father-in-law passed away, and so that's kind of where we see a lot of the turmoil. It's all tied up in in legal terms and yeah, all the, these things. The lawyers but, have their hands on this one. But also, when you've only got three wins and you're stepping away from all your duties, that can be part of it as well. So big news coming out of Montreal there if you're a Montreal Alouettes fan. The thing about the Montreal Alouettes is when the team is good, the city is with them. When the team is bad, the city is not. And the problem was they spent a lot of money in the late 2000s, early 2010s, in the height of the Anthony Calvillo era and said, you know what, 15,000 seats in our stadium, not good enough. We have to expand to over 20,000. And that pretty much coincided with Anthony Calvillo's retirement. They're no longer the hottest ticket in town. The excitement of the games on the hill are not there like they were from about 1998 through to about 2010, 2011. So unfortunately for Montreal, they really are a town, unless it's the Habs, that it's ride or die. When you win, you're good. When you're out, you're out. Uh, and unless you're the Montreal Canadiens, you're really going to have trouble drawing crowds if you're not very good. And the Alouettes have pretty much not been good for about a decade. So it's uh, that that's a tough... The CFL is a tough business operation for anybody. And certainly when you're caught up in legal wranglings and the team stinks and you're not selling enough, selling enough tickets, it's maybe one where you throw your hands up in the air and say, yeah, I'm going to go do something else. Brock, thank you for this. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. We will. That is Brock Richardson. He's the host of The Neutral Zone. He's also co-hosting Kelly and Company later today. So you get lots of Brock here on the mighty airwaves of AMI and AMI-audio. Let's bring in Eliza Rocco with the National Weather Update. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. In Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, it's mainly cloudy with a high of 25. And in Charlottetown, PEI, it's clearing this morning with a high of 28. In St. John's, it's mainly cloudy, 30% chance of drizzle early this morning with a high of 23. In Quebec City, it's cloudy with 60% chance of showers and a risk of thunderstorms. The high is 23. In Toronto, it's cloudy with 40% chance of showers, a risk of a thunderstorm with a high of 25. In Sault Ste. Marie, it's cloudy with 40% chance of showers, becoming a mix of sun and cloud this afternoon with a high of 20. And in Brandon, Manitoba, it's sunny with a high of 29. And in Regina, it's sunny with a high of 30. In Lethbridge, Alberta, it's sunny with a high of 31. And in Red Deer, Alberta, it's sunny with a high of 30 and a heat warning in effect. Then in White in Whitehorse, there's a mix of sun and cloud, a 30% chance of showers late this afternoon, and a high of 17%. And in VC, it is sunny with a high of 33%. And lastly in Vancouver, it's sunny with a high of 26. 
And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Eliza. Coming up next, Envision Smart Glasses have partnered with Ira to offer a better orientation experience for users. Nelson Rago will have that story. But first, yesterday in Tech Trends, we looked at some issues with health tracking software. Well, today, Andy Field explains some of the troubles with emotion recognition software. Lauren Rue is an assistant professor at the University of Maryland. Her research finds common emotion detection programs from companies including Amazon and Face++ can display racial bias. When I tried to control for smiling, right, or control for the degree of emotion, I found that African Americans were fairly consistently attributed with more negative emotions, whether it's anger or contempt. She says that likely stems from how the programs are trained to recognize different emotions. It's really difficult to disentangle the models from the data on which they're trained, and that's why it's so important to think critically about the diversity of the data. With Tech Trends, I'm Andy Field, ABC News. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's find out what's going on in the world of accessible technology with the founder of Cool Blind Tech, Nelson Rago. Hey, good morning, Nelson. Hey, good morning, Dave. So, Nelson, there's a new startup that is launching a set of smart glasses for members of the deaf and hard of hearing community. Before we talk about what they do exactly, what's the inspiration behind X-ray glasses? Well, a lot of this is usually uh, uh, related to the family, and, and this is uh, no different. So the CEO of the uh, company, uh, he had spent uh, time with his family, and especially his grandfather, who's uh, 97 years old, and his uh, grandfather's uh, hearing loss. Um, and you know, it's uh, to the point uh, where the grandfather just stopped interacting with the family because he had troubles uh, uh, with conversations in the, you know, in the setting when there's a lot of people. So... Uh, he decided that uh, he wanted to make a difference uh, for his grandfather and other people in his situation. And um, six months uh, later, he uh, he partnered up with a company, a manufacturer called Enreal, uh, uh, that actually uh, manufactures uh, AI uh, glasses. And uh, he's, he's now got a product that uh, is for his grandfather and anyone else uh, who needs it. So what do these products do? How do they work to serve a member of the hard of hearing or deaf community? Uh, so th- this particular one, it will uh, work with a mobile phone, um, and then it uses the uh, the Amazon's um, uh, transcription service, and then in real time it'll take audio from nearby conversations or people that uh, that are talking to you, and it'll translate uh, that uh, audio into text uh, into, into real time for the user. Uh, so allows them to actually uh, you know hear in their in their sense uh, read uh, what uh, what the um, Amazon service is hearing. Uh, so allows them to uh, at least listen to uh, uh, the conversations. As mentioned, we are in the startup phase on this. Is there any expectation on when these might be released to the wider public? Yeah. So so he does have like a a few of them that are out there now uh, that he's been testing and he's looking uh, to get some feedback from users. Uh, and then if all goes well, he's he's looking to actually roll this out for, for general use um, in September. So it's um, you know it's just next next month, a few days. So uh, so it looks like he's he's really um, got it dialed in where 
he can have it uh, for the public pretty soon. So folks may be intrigued by this one. So I'm going to spell out X-ray because it's spelled a little bit differently than they might expect. It's X-R-A-I, X-R-A-I. So get that sort of artificial intelligence built into the uh, branding. X-ray glasses, X-R-A-I is how you spell that one. All right, Nelson, let's stick to the theme of smart glasses because Envision smart glasses have partnered with Ira to offer a smoother experience to users. Now, Nelson, we've talked about both these products pretty extensively on the show for years and years and years now, but for someone who might be tuning in for the very first time, give me the cliff notes on both these two pieces. Well, one's a piece of technology and one is a service. Yeah, there's uh, there's so many of these companies out there, so uh, I'm sure people are getting lost as far as which which company is doing what and um, and what service they're providing. Uh, so in the case of in Envision, uh, their are glasses, uh, their AI glasses that they use, it'll interpret uh, uh, video that it or or audio that it, um, sorry, it'll interpret the images uh, that it picks up on its uh, camera, and then it'll translate that uh, to where you can use it for navigation. Uh, you could even use it to recognize um, uh, people that are in the room, uh, read text for you, uh, and then so on and so on. It's got uh, many features that has uh, uh, built in uh, to the uh, camera and the, and the service. And then we get to Ira, which is, of course, a, which is more of a personal service. Yeah, Ira is more like a, a software base. Um, so they're a, a human to human uh, live interaction uh, where are you dealing with a professional agent that's interpreting uh, what's on your screen and, and what uh, your camera is picking up on its uh, on its viewer? Uh, so, so that's that in a, in a nutshell as far as uh, the service yeah. they provide. Yeah, that's I mean that that's like again this is one that's like pretty commonly known at this point, especially inside the blind and low vision community. So now we've got these two companies that both serve a purpose, a similar purpose. They've partnered. So what does the new partnership mean for a user? Uh, so for the end user, uh, for example, uh, uh, if you're uh, an IRA user, uh, you, you won't have to um, worry about uh, a chest-mounted uh, harness that's uh, holding up your phone or your, your mobile device. Uh, so that could be kind of clunky to sort of uh, get that sorted out and, and can use it uh, hands-free. Uh, in the case of uh, Envision, uh, it gives the uh, user 24-7 access uh, to a professional assistant uh, uh, that can interpret uh, what's what's on your screen. Um, this actually complements uh, another service that they have uh, in Vision, that is, uh, which is called that Alley. And, and that allows you to have a, a similar experience, uh, but this would be for uh, friends and family. And, and you know, <laughs> they're not the most professional people uh, <laughs> that can uh, give you feedback. But, uh, and of course, you know, you can't call them 24-7. So it's, uh, it complements uh, that service that uh, people may use. Yeah, it just makes a lot of sense in regards to the way somebody may orient, especially someone who's maybe going through a vision loss versus who was born blind. Just knowing that there's a yeah. camera that's centrally mounted on your glasses so that when the IRA agent might say, hey, just turn your head a teensy bit to the left or turn your head a little bit down so I can see this document you're trying to, that I'm trying to help you with or trying to look at this thing that, that I'm trying to help you with. It just makes the communication a little easier and a little more seamless than, say, the mounting on the chest or the dealing with lanyards and what am I mounting? 
Magnus on and what if it falls off and what if it flips around and what if it turns around? The notion (laughs) of wearing the glasses makes it a little bit more straightforward. So definitely an interesting partnership to see those uh, two companies coming together. But it also makes sense. Like these are companies that are serving the community and why wouldn't they try and expand their reach and put their services together? It makes a ton of sense to me. Nelson, let's wrap up with your tech tip. This week, you want to offer some advice on how to update Amazon's assistant, whose name starts with an A, but we're not going to say it. What should we know when it comes time to update that Amazon software? Oh, I'm, I might actually say it. <laughs> uh, um, so for uh, most uh, devices... I'm asking, El- Nelson, they... I'm asking you not to say it because it's going to fire up people's uh, Lady A devices if you do. I'm, I'm going to say it because I'm going to give you a, a quick demonstration. <laughs> uh uh, in the case of, uh, let's say, for iOS users, um, and you'll have this usually set up uh, for automatic updates, uh, but if you need to manually update it for uh, the app itself, and the app allows you to control the uh, the devices and, and as far as the services that you need. Uh, so if you go into like the, the, the app store for uh, iOS user and then go to top right for um, your profile there, and then you can uh, scroll down. Uh, to where you can update uh, all, all apps or, or specifically that uh, particular app. And then, of course, uh, for Android users, you can go to the uh, Play Store. And then uh, for the top, you can tap on the uh, um, <clears throat> on the profile and then scroll down to uh, uh, Manage Apps and Devices. And then from there, you could update the device. Uh, in, in the case of the device themselves, um, they usually do update uh, you know, automatically. And, and you'll notice because they'll have like uh, the, the blue light uh, or the the ring will will be like uh, active. It'll be swirling around, and it'll uh, automatically update uh, when you're connected to the internet. Um, and then uh, <laughs> I do want to give you a demonstration, but I'm not sure if I should anymore. Uh, well, okay, N- Nelson, the reason why I don't want you to do it is because if you if you say this out over the airwaves, it's going to light up somebody else's device, and maybe they don't want it updated. I'm gonna update everyone's device. Uh, so if you say the uh, uh, the the word, uh, you just simply uh, give it the command uh, uh, check for software update, uh, and you have to be careful to uh, actually say the right thing because if you just say uh, the the um, the the command word and then just say update, then it start giving you the news. So you got to make sure uh, check for software update or even check for uh, update, and then. In my case, it's uh, already updated, so it'll tell me that it's uh, already up to date. Uh, in case if, if you do need to update, then it'll go through the process of uh, updating the, the device. Um, and they'll give you the audio feedback that it's uh, done. Yeah, the, she, she's always very conversational, that lady. Eh? There's no doubt about it. And just a reminder, we're talking about Echo devices here, and we don't want to say the name because... Uh, We've had a lot of complaints in the past about when we hit these, <laughs> when we when we say the trigger words. So we're just not going to do it. Nelson, thank no. you for this. We appreciate it. Great. Take care. That's Nelson Rago of Cool Blind Tech. Coming up after the break, we bring in Grace Scofield for what is going to be her very last entertainment report. That's what I'm told. <laughs> I wonder if Grace knows that. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. 
We think this might be the last one. Let's bring in Grace Scofield for the entertainment report. Grace, we think this might be your last on-air appearance. You're going to be here for two more days, but largely you're going to be uh, sort of washing into the background. Yes, I will be around. You might see an arm fly over to the control board or something, (laughs) but for the most part, I'm handing everything over to Eliza. Yeah, yeah. Although, remember I I said a big goodbye to Sam Robinson a couple of months ago, and then he ended up hanging out for like 10 more days. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I need to be careful with how often I say goodbye to people. Exactly. So we might end up jinxing it. We'll see. But it seems appropriate that for your last interview, entertainment report that we would bring on an ever so slightly random Harry Styles story. Very random, not very newsworthy in, uh, you know, in the true essence of most of my entertainment reports on Harry Styles. Uh, He was hit with a chicken nugget on stage the other day. Um, A fan threw a bunch of chicken nuggets at him. He ignored it, did a great job, was professional, moved on, and eventually went to go pick up one of these chicken nuggets and went, who threw a chicken nugget so at me? It was a heckle nugget. It wasn't. It wasn't like a nugget of support. It was. Well, a nug- it was a nugget of heckling. It was a nugget of support. The fan just thought he needed a snack. Asked him to eat the chicken nugget. To which Harry Styles That's replied, disgusting. "I don't eat chicken. I don't eat meat." So I, Harry Styles is a vegetarian. I also don't eat things that just touched the floor yes. of a stage and that were thrown to me by some random person in a crowd of thousands of people. Um, so then the fan asked for the chicken nugget back, Ugh. and Harry Styles threw it back, and the fan ate it. Uh, The look on Harry Styles' face was incredible. Just disbelief, pure shock before he moved on to the next song, just without any words. (laughs) Just went, no, okay, we'll move on from this. Well, based on some of your reporting, that fan paid a lot of money to be that close to Harry Styles to be throwing chicken nuggets. So, you know, I guess all the more power to him. Once you've you've spent that much money on that ticket, then you might as well try to get your food back. Exactly, and money well worth it. I would pay a priceless (laughs) amount of money for Harry Styles to talk to me. So... (laughs) I'd say it was worth it. A chicken nugget interaction, why not? So I think this essentially circles back to one of the first entertainment reports that you ever did for us, which was about the price of the Harry Styles ticket uh, for his Toronto concert. And remind me, it was something in the $300-ish range for a ticket? $1,800. more like $1,800-ish range for a ticket, which was was a lot. Uh, Quite (laughs) a a bit, Uh, yes. A sticker-shocking number. And we got to talking about expensive concerts and I'm on your last report going to bounce something back to you here that probably doesn't seem nearly as sticker shocky as Harry Styles and $1,800 uh, for a secondary market ticket but the Black Keys are uh, coming to town for a rescheduled show that was supposed to take place in 2020 looks like they're finally going to make their way to the Budweiser stage here in Toronto and it's a show that I really want to go to And I'm clicking on the tickets last night to see what they're going for. And in the general admission, back lawn, way away from the stage, Grace, do you know what one of those general admission tickets is going for? Dave, I've got a good idea. It's about... $75 to $100. There you go. You nailed it. $73, including fees and taxes and whatnot. And I I don't want to go as far as to say like yelling at the clouds and my jaw dropped and said, oh, gosh, darn, that's so much. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money for a general admission ticket on a Tuesday night at the Budweiser stage. Well, Eliza and I were just talking about this this morning as well. We were talking about the Florence and the Machine concert, which is also going to happen at Budweiser stage. Tickets for the lawn were, and I just checked them right before this segment, $150. To sit on a lawn 
in like on a blanket. Well, I wouldn't sit. I would stand. Right. I, but I feel like, you know, you're there for so long. You're on a hill. That's the other thing. The lawn is a hill. It's not just a good flat point. piece of ground. That's a good point. You might, you might want to sit down for a second. I like to be mobile, though. I like to, I like to wander and that's move. Fair. That's what I did at the Dave Matthews show in 2014. Yeah, I guess like we just accept that concerts are going to get more expensive, right? That like, I like think prices so. will rise, politicians will philander, you two will get old. Yes, and then eventually. When, and then when you do, you will imagine that when you were young, prices were low, politicians were honorable. But anyway, <laughs> um, I, I yeah, I, there's there's a sort of romanticism here, but man, 73 bucks is, is a lot. Like I wanted to go to an Evergreen concert in Niagara Falls over the weekend. The ticket, not devastating. It was something like $50 for a reasonable seat. But then the actual staying at a hotel in Niagara Falls on a weekend in August, it was going to be like $300 a night. So that got scrapped off the plans as well. Grace, everything's really expensive. Everything is very expensive. I used to be able to go like buy last minute concert tickets in my first year for like $15 for the yeah. Danforth Music Hall. Yeah. Now they're like 50. Oh, Danforth Music Hall. No, that's a good venue. That a little, is a good venue. A little dinner at worth, Allen's. Worth the $50. dinner at Allen's, a drink at Noonan's, and a night at the Danforth Music there we Hall. Go. Now we're talking. Uh, Grace, I, I don't want to do like an overly teary goodbye. Um, but I will cry, Dave. Okay, I know. So, so we'll keep it pretty simple here. It has been a pleasure to have you on the show this month, <laughs> taking up the mantle for Sam Robinson. You are an excellent journalist, an excellent broadcaster. You've manned the technology side of this so well. You're going into your last year here at Toronto Metropolitan University. You're going to kill it. You're going to be successful in this industry. Thank you for making a brief pit stop along the way with us. Of course. Thank you so much, Dave. I've got a tear. I have a tear. One singular tear. One singular tear. <laughs> That's Grace Scofield with her last entertainment report for us, and we'll be around for a few more days. And you might occasionally hear her voice popping up on the network as she's doing a little bit of stuff for AMI Audio heading into the fall. But in terms of the now with Dave Brown responsibilities, Grace will be a rarity as opposed to a fixture. So we wish Grace well on her way. A fixture of the show is Nasreen Abdelmajid, and she's here to tell you what's trending. Nazreen, we're going meta today in the sense that Snapchat is rolling out new features. So social media talking about social media. Absolutely. So yesterday, a new feature on Snapchat was introduced. You can snap both using the front and rear cameras together. So the dual camera feature comes in four different layouts, vertical, horizontal, picture-in-picture, and cutout. Snapchat's camera is one of the most used cameras around the world, according to the company. And I wanted to ask you, because let's talk about this. Are you a Snapchat user? Nope, 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 nope. Twitter, Facebook, and a little bit of Tumblr. That's it. Uh, I guess YouTube as well. Like if you count YouTube as social media, but I'm not a poster. I'm a lurker. And this is where I ask you, is there a certain age where you're you know, you're just too old to use Snapchat. Because after after my seven year old cousin started using Snapchat, I'm I'm just you know backing out of it a little bit. I'm like, am I too old for this? The young people um, are coming for all of our things, Nazreen. For all of our things, absolutely. Uh, kind of like how the old people came for Facebook, which is you know that was stunning as well. I don't know, Nazreen. I, I think that at the end of the day, it's about people enjoying what they do in the platform that they mm-hmm. use. I just don't have a lot of friends on Snapchat. I, it just it was just from an era that was maybe just a teen bit young for me. Most of my friends didn't jump on. I would say the platform they're using the most these days is Instagram, which I 
have an account for, yeah. but I never use. I have not even installed it on my phone since I got my new phone last year. So people find their places to congregate and migrate, but I find more and more what's happening in my life is I'm just using group chats. Group chats have become what social media used mm. to be for me, where I've, I'm in, I'd say like eight to 10 different group chats with different groups of friends. And that's where we share pictures of our kids or our dogs or our meals or our funny memes. And we don't need to share it with 500 people or a thousand people or the internet at large. We're happy just to have conversations amongst ourselves on WhatsApp. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I barely use Snapchat and the people that I have on Snapchat is just my close family and friends. That's it. So I barely get on it. And what I think is you know, the only thing that I would say when you're getting too old for it is when you're obsessed with the streaks. The streaks is gone. That That's where it's what gone. Because I streaks? saw streak, <laughs> streaks is when you go back and forth uh, on Twitter um, and you keep the so if you like Snapchat, snap a person every single day. That's where you count every day. OK, oh, we're see. on streak number four. Okay. Streak five. Okay. So it counts by days. And that people get obsessed. And I know teenagers get obsessed with that. And I saw a tweet about a 26-year-old man keeping that streak with his girlfriend. And I'm like, this is where you stop. This is where you're done. Eh, whatever keeps whatever <laughs> keeps like, the love alive. You know, whatever keeps yeah. the love alive. But like she's breaking up with him just to keep you updated on this relationship online. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, so that's that's the thing. Um, but th that's where I'm like, you know, this is where you kind of get old. I'm not saying that, you know, there's a certain age where you're like you're getting too old for Snapchat. But when you're obsessed with streaks, that's where you're you need to say goodbye eh, a little age, bit. Age is just or a back out. Age is just a number. Nazreen, we got to get out of here. But thank you for this. You got it. That's Nazreen Abdelmajid. No Ramya today. But uh, Brock Richardson filling in for her on Kelly and Company. So let me give you a bit of a preview of what's coming up on that show at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Nutritionalist Julia Karanchis will let you know how to make a well-rounded salad worthy of a meal. Marsha Yale will tell you how the Alliance for the Equality of Blind Canadians is celebrating their 30th anniversary. And our friend and manager, Andy Frank, will join the show to discuss a bunch of changes coming to AMI-audio on September 1st. And beyond, Kelly and Company comes your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming up next, we wrap up the show with the weekly news quiz. Mike Ross will test the mental fortitude of Alex Smythe, Karen McGee, and myself. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. Alex Smythe is standing by. Karen McGee is standing by. I'm here. And Mike Ross has the questions for the weekly news quiz. Yes, indeed I do, Dave. We have three rounds of questions as per usual, three questions per round, and each question comes with three multiple choice options for our contestants. Now, if the contestant can answer the question correctly without hearing the options, I'll give them two points. If they need to hear the options and get it right, they'll get one point. And if they get it wrong, we will move on until the point is awarded. Now, 
I wrote the quiz this week and I spun the randomizing wheel of contestants oh oh and my. order uh, for round number one will be Dave followed by Alex followed by Karen. So round one question one goes to Dave. The debut space flight of NASA's mega moon rocket on Monday morning at the Kennedy Space Center in Florida was scrapped prior to liftoff. What is the name of the rocket? Artemis. I'm going to give you the point because it is Artemis 1, but it is the first Artemis, so it's kind of impossible for it to be 2. So congratulations, <laughs> Dave. Two points for you. Uh, the start of the Artemis mission uh, will not involve any crew on board except for three mannequins and a plush Snoopy, but is a crucial step to returning humans to space. The launch has been, uh, not the lunch, by the way, the launch, uh, typo there, uh, has been rescheduled to Friday. Hey, Alex, Mike, 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 yeah, Mike yeah. hold up one second. We've actually got a clip here from Canadian astronaut David St. Jacques saying he has mixed feelings about the delay of the Artemis launch. He is disappointed. <laughs> I wanted to see the excitement of a rocket launch, this great new rocket, the beginning of a new era of exploration, back to the moon, ultimately eventually to Mars. But the sober engineering me, guys, whew, glad that someone found that problem and saved us from a bigger problem. Sorry, Mike, I've been holding that clip all show and this seemed like a great time to use it. <laughs> Absolutely. And and everybody's with David on that on that page, same page. Nobody wants uh, any disasters here. So uh, good on them for uh, rescheduling to uh, at least this Friday. Alex, this one's for you. Quebec voters going to the polls in a provincial election October 3rd. Which party is seeking a second consecutive majority government? Oh boy! Um, is it? Uh, you know what? I'll, I'll hear the answers or the the options. All right, your options are the Parti Québécois, Quebec Solidaire, or Coalition Avenir Quebec, or CAQ. I'll do uh, Parti Québécois. That is incorrect. Let's go to Karen. Karen, what say you? I think it's B. That is incorrect. Oh, and Dave the gets the bonus Quebec. Yes, yes. The CAQ formed the previous government under François Legault and are facing off against the Liberal Party, the Parti Québécois, Québec Solidaire, and the Conservative Party of Quebec. Karen McGee, this question's for you. What Ontario University made headlines last week for being the only post-secondary institution in the province requiring students have had a booster shot in order to attend classes in person. I believe it's Western. I believe you have two points. Western University announcing an updated vaccine requirement, mandating a primary series of shots plus one booster for everyone returning to campus, along with resuming masking indoors for the fall. Round one coming to an end. Dave has three points. Karen with two points. And Alex, yet to get on the board. This question, Alex, is for you. Okay. A famous a famous portrait of Winston Churchill went missing from Ottawa's Fairmont Chateau Laurier earlier this year, but the news was only shared last week. Who took and, and I mean the photographer, who took the famous photo? I, I don't know the name offhand, so I, I will need the options, but I, I'm confident about this one. All right. Your options are <laughs> Yusuf Karsh, Andy Warhol. Or Mick Jagger? Uh, Yusuf Karsh. 
That is correct. You're on the board. A staff member at the Story Downtown Ottawa Hotel just steps from Parliament Hill discovered last Friday that the portrait hanging on the wall was a replica, not the original that was installed in 1998. And uh, they said, hey, wait a minute, that doesn't match the other five portraits also taken by Karsh that are in the lounge. Uh, Karsh, one of the uh, 20th century's most famous portrait photographers, took the photo in 1941 when the Prime Minister of Great Britain was in Ottawa to address Parliament during World War II. Karen, the Little League team representing the state of Hawaii, won the Little League World Series on Sunday for the fourth time in their history, beating Curacao. Where is the Little League World Series held? Oh, and I follow that story about that young man who fell off the bunk bed, too. I'll need the choices. <laughs> All I right. Your options, your options are Williamsburg, PA, Williamstown, PA, or Williamsport, PA. Okay, I knew it was in Pennsylvania. Um, <laughs> that's that's tough, man. There's some real nuance to those options. That's not fair. I call foul. Ha! Huh, see what I did there. Um, the um, nobody thought that was funny, but me. I'll take B. <laughs> you just got it. Right? You just got B, it. B is incorrect. B what, is incorrect. Which one? Dave, which one was B? Which one was B? William. So, so Dave, your remaining choices are Williamsburg or Williamsport. Oh my gosh! <laughs> my gosh! Uh, Williamsburg. Bonus point oh, for Alex. Man. Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Hawaii beat Curacao thirteen three in the final, and over the course of the tournament, in six games, all wins. The closest margin of victory was four runs. They outscored their opponents 60 to five throughout the tournament. All right, Dave, of the three major COVID vaccine makers, Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna, which one is suing the other two for patent infringement? So the three options here are Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna. Correct. Uh I thought Pfizer BioNTech were working on their their project together. So I'll go with Moderna. That's correct. Moderna is suing Pfizer and BioNTech for patent infringement in the development of the first COVID-19 vaccine approved in the United States, alleging they copied technology that Moderna developed years before the pandemic. Both Pfizer and BioNTech stock took a bit of a shot after that. Oh, the puns are flying today. Uh, Okay, round number two. Is uh, now wrapped up. Dave with four points, Karen with two, Alex with two, and Karen, you kick off round number three. Montrealers and bagel lovers everywhere are mourning the loss of their favorite brand of cream cheese after General Mills pulled what famous brand from the shelves? Heartbreaking. Oh, it's it's last something. Oh, son of a gun. I can see the packaging too. Um, I'll take the choices. Your options are Philadelphia, Tres Delay, or Liberté. Liberté. You got it. The uh, uh, company General Mills says that uh, uh, it is with great sadness that they confirm it's no longer going to be making the Liberté cream cheese. It was uh, manufactured since 1937 and a standard issue at most of Montreal's bagel shops. Uh, Dave, McLeod Bethel-Thompson, quarterback for the CFL's Toronto Argonauts, has now thrown for 11,294 yards, good for fourth ever in team history. 
Who did he bump into fifth place? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Deep Argos knowledge. Not even who was number one on the Argos list, but who was number four. I did the options, please. Your options are Matt Dunnigan, Doug Flutie, or Damon Allen. My instinct was my instinct was uh, Damon Allen. So Damon Allen. That's incorrect. Alex, Doug Flutie or Matt Dunnigan? Uh, I will say Matt Dunnigan. Bonus point for Karen. It is Doug Flutie. Road Flutie's grill. Uh, Doug Flutie is fifth, <laughs> uh, but uh, still ahead of Bethel Thompson are Damon Allen in third, Conridge Holloway in second, and Ricky Ray in first place oh. with 20,205 yards. Compiler. Uh, Alex, this year marks the 50th anniversary of the Canada USSR Hockey Summit Series in 1972. What member of the team released a new book last week titled The Series, What I Remember, What It Felt Like, What It Feels Like Now? Um, I'll need the options. Ken Dryden, Phil Esposito, or Paul Henderson? I'm going to say Paul Henderson. Incorrect. Karen? Phil Esposito? Incorrect. Bonus point for Dave. And... At the buzzer, our winner is Dave Brown. Five to Karen's four to Alex's two. After absolutely blowing me off at a public function in 2005, Ken Dryden has finally paid his penance and won me a news (laughs) quiz. Ah, fantastic. Congratulations. Feels Dave. real good to finally get one in on Mr. Dryden. Uh, come on, guys. He's like, the, he writes a million books. No shocker that he wanted to write. Well, that's why I didn't think it would be him because how, what else can he say? I don't know. Like, it's, it's Ken Dryden. He's a politician. He's always got something to say. There's no shortage of words out of, a, out of a politician's mouth. Karen, thank you for this. Alex, great chatting with you. We're going to hear a lot more from you over the course of the next couple days and weeks on the show. And Mike, thank you. We're not going to announce everything fully just yet, but that was the last ever quiz mastering. Mike, we're going yes. to miss you as quiz master. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. I had a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. Well, we'll say a proper goodbye a little bit later in the week in regards to uh, what Mike's up to. Although Mike's not Mike's not fully going away, but uh, there'll be some less Mike in our lives. But for now, there's going to be less now with Dave Brown in your life because we got to go. Talk to you tomorrow. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.